I heard again this week of somebody who left the practice of the Catholic faith, left it because in all her, of her years, she claimed she had never heard once that Jesus Christ is Lord, had never heard once the church proclaim the need to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And I honestly have to admit, I don't know where she is in certain days like the Feast of Christ the King, or Easter, or Christmas, or any day, of the, any Sunday. Because how can we say Jesus is not Lord? Uh, how, how can Catholics say that we've never been taught? Because our own first Pope in today's reading says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Well, isn't that like saying Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior? When we say that Jesus Christ is Lord of my heart, that we sanctify him, we have a place where, where he is made holy in our hearts, where he makes us holy. Isn't that saying that Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior? Now, we don't always use that language as Catholics, but just because we don't use it doesn't mean we can't use it. And just because we don't use it doesn't mean we don't believe it. After all, every time we come forward to receive Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, the priest or the deacon or the Eucharistic minister, extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, says the body of Christ, and we respond, Amen. Yes, I believe. And we receive that Eucharist. We receive Jesus Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity into our hearts, into our lives in a real way. This is how we sanctify the Lord. This is how we make him Lord of our hearts. And so as Catholics, we need to remind our brothers and sisters who are not Catholic that yes, indeed, Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, everything in our faith proclaims that. And again, and I'll, just to harp on it once more, our first Pope, and every Pope since, has told us that. But St. Peter goes on to tell us that we need to be ready for an explanation for the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. And so I would ask you, if I asked you, each one of you individually after Mass, what is your reason for hope, how many of you would have an answer? Well, there's as many different answers as there are uh, people here this morning. I'll leave the youngest among us, they, they're still discerning, but, but all of us from, you know, certainly after the age of reason, after we've received our first Eucharist, we should be able to, to say something. What is the reason that we have hope? Well, I, was all, I spent all, all uh, yesterday and all night and trying to come up with a nice acronym, you know, spelling out hope, and I, 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 I get stuck at the P's, except for penance and prayer. But here's my reason for hope, that Jesus Christ is truly risen, and because he is risen, I have hope of resurrection. And not only I, but all who have gone before us and all who are alive now, we have hope for the resurrection, that death is not the end. We have hope for the resurrection because Jesus Christ is raised, and he opens up the gates of heaven to us and pours out the Holy Spirit upon us that that Holy Spirit gushes upon us if we allow it and gives us everything, all the gifts and allows all the fruits to grow in us. That no matter how many times I sin, he's always ready to forgive as soon as I'm ready to ask for forgiveness. God, who is perfect, does this 
I know if I'd asked the question, how many of you find it very easy to forgive somebody who sins against you? I don't think I'd have too many hands up, would I? Because it's hard, but God, who is perfect, loves and forgives perfectly. If that doesn't give hope, I don't know what will. And that he's always ready to forgive. And there's nothing I can do, nothing you can do, nothing any of us can do to make God love us any less or love us any more. Because God loves us infinitely. And you do, do a little uh, uh, word ex- or thought experiment on that. and It still blows my mind if you had an infinite number of $100 bills and an infinite number of $1 bills, you have the same amount. Infinite. That's how much God loves us. It's infinite. He cannot love us less or more than he already does. If that doesn't give hope, nothing will. But I want to go back to the presence of the Holy Spirit today in this gospel passage, and so often with the Gospel of John, especially in the, uh, the uh, sections that we are in, this is part of the Last Supper narrative, as Jesus is preparing them to say goodbye, preparing them for his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. So often it's, it sounds like tongue, uh, tongue twisters, and, and if we're not paying attention, we, who's in whom? Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in him, and he's in us, and we are in, in him, and the Holy Spirit's going to be in us, and we're going to be in the Holy Spirit, and all of these things. But it comes down to this one fundamental fact, that when we love God, when we keep his commandments, we have a communion with him. And not only a communion with him, but with the whole Trinity, and the communion with all who have communion with him. This is what our faith is. A constant giving of self to another. A giving of self and love to another. Because after all, that's what love is. We live in a world that tells us love is something else. Love is about a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. That's why certain people can fall in love and out of love so easily. Because the emotions come and go. But if that's all love is, oh, we are the most miserable of all people, aren't we? But love is something more. Love is not just not an emotion, but rather a choice. It's an act of the will to choose the other, to choose the good of the other above our own, knowing that when we choose the other and their good, often that choice is reciprocated, given back to us, that we don't just abandon ourselves to the other, but the other gives themselves to us, too. And St. John tells us in his letters that we love God because he first loved us. Oh, we see how he first loved us in creating us. Keep thinking about certain people and, and how God must love them a lot to have created them. But he does. He created all of us in love, and that's an act of love in and of itself. But then not only to create them, but to redeem them. To, by, the, by Jesus Christ's cross, by his death and resurrection, has given them redemption if they're willing to receive it. And not only that, but sanctifies us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Is it necessary for the Holy Spirit to have the Holy Spirit with us? Oh yes, it is. Read again that first reading. The Acts of the Apostles, Philip not the, not the apostle, but rather the deacon. There's two in the, in the Acts of the Apostles named Philip. 
Philip the deacon has gone to Samaria. He's preaching the gospel. Many are coming to the faith, are being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We would add that it's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be baptized in, the, in Jesus Christ. But because he's not an apostle, he cannot impart the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so even though there, there are these wonderful signs of the blind seeing and the lame walking and the uh, demons being cast out and all these things in the very gift of baptism, not through some extraordinary means of exorcism or, or whatever it is, but through baptism itself. All these extraordinary things are happening. They see it and they receive it with such joy. They know there's something missing. And so Peter and John, the apostles, go and they impart the gift of the Holy Spirit upon them. This, by the way, is part of the reason why the Roman Catholic Church especially has separated baptism in the sacrament of confirmation because it sees the need for somebody to encounter the successor of the apostles at least once. Now, that's not always the case for some who are uh, brought into the church as adults, perhaps, or, or, or whatever, or emergencies, certainly. But by and large, that's the case for most of us. If we go around, most of us could say we were confirmed by a bishop. Because, again, we need the apostles and their successors to connect us. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And when they receive the Holy Spirit, I can't imagine what greater signs the Samaritans exhibited. What was their reason for hope? It was the communion that they had with each other. The communion they had with Jesus Christ. The communion they had with the Holy Spirit that connected them and united them more deeply to God the Father. What is the hope that uh, St. Peter has? It's his salvation that is his in Christ Jesus, that he has sanctified Jesus as Lord and Savior, and that no matter what, did you catch that? If he's persecuted, punished for doing right, versus punished for doing, doing wrong, it's better to be punished for doing right? Well, who can say that except somebody who has the sense of hope? Somebody who has a sense of God's presence in his life. That's what God desires for each one of us. Not that I hope none of us are being punished for, certainly I hope none of us are being punished for doing evil, but I don't think any of us are being punished for doing good. But if we were, that's a cause for hope. Because we're doing something that is right, good, holy. As we come this day, we need to ask ourselves, what is our reason for hope? What is your reason for hope this day? All we need to do, though, is just kind of pay attention to the world. We see how hopeless so many in this world are. I forget the actual statistic, and as I keep saying, 110% of all statistics are completely made up anyway. But the actual statistic of how many are suffering from depression, how many are suffering from anxiety. Now, I'm not naive enough to believe if we just pray and everyone would come to faith that all these issues would go away because sometimes there are some deep medical and chemical issues going on in a person's uh, body. But I wonder how much of the sadness, how much depression, how much anxiety, how much fear, how much anger, how much un unforgiveness and resentment, how much of all of that would just simply dissipate if we as, as Catholics, we as Christians, 
not only sanctify Jesus Christ as our Lord, the Lord of our hearts, but we would always be ready with that explanation for our hope. I'm not naive enough to believe that if we just simply have faith that we're not going to be sad some days. That's not what hope is. Hope is not the lack of sadness, but hope is the presence, the knowledge of the presence of God in our lives. The knowledge and the certainty that somehow God is going to make it all right. That no matter what, God is with us. That's hope, not what the world teaches. The world gets so much of the language we use wrong, doesn't it? Hope, love, faith. And somehow, as a side, the world teaches that faith is opposed to reason. No. Faith and reason build on each other. Or faith, rather, builds on reason. Reason can only take us so far. Faith takes that next step of putting our trust in what we cannot know with certainty, putting our trust in God. We need faith, hope, and love to live in this world. And when we have faith, hope, and love, we have a profound reason. I don't think it's coincidence that as we see so much hopelessness in this world, we see so many reaching for things to to kill the pain of their lives depression and suicidal ideation and all those things. The world needs hope. We need hope. And as Catholics, as Christians, we have it. So again, what is your explanation? What is your reason for hope this day? May it be as large as it can be. And be ready to give that in gentleness and humility and love to a world that needs that hope.